by the way, while we're, we're waiting and, uh, and for people to settle down, I was just reminded of the, um, uh, the accurate story with uh, Pakyab as far as the healing, that it was the Dalai Lama who sent a message saying, uh, not necessary to amputate, and gave him a secret mantra that he, uh, he then practiced with, and that was the magic trick. So as I said, I wanted to share with you a, um, uh, a favorite teaching of mine. I often share this at the end of retreats when people are um, leaving the pristine refuge of spirit rock and the silence and the stillness and have the question, uh, what do I do now? What if I lose the calm and concentration and mindfulness that I've developed? And I, if that question is put to me, I er erase the, uh, the words, what if, because uh, <laughs> that will happen. And it's so easy to, to think of practice as... The formal sitting, yes, I'm spiritual, I'm quiet, finally, or no, I'm not, who am I kidding? And uh, measure our practice by how quiet our mind is. This is a setup for problems. In case that's something you tend to do, I want to remind you something that I say quite frequently. You have no control of, over what comes through your mind. Now you might say, wait a moment, what am I doing all this meditating for? Um, if you had control over what comes through your mind, you would probably just have loving, noble thoughts of saving humanity and blessing everybody and everything around you, which you might have from time to time, but there's probably a few others that slip in there <laughs> as well. And it's a great relief to see, to understand that the mind has a mind of its own and it just does its thing. What you have some input into is the habits of mind, where your mind naturally rests, and more and more seeing through the emptiness of the thoughts, through practice. Not that those thoughts don't arise. I had this, actually, this conversation with that, that Rinpoche the other, the other day, if, uh, you know, whether the, whether thoughts are completely uprooted in the awakened mind or if they can still arise. And I'm of the inclination that uh, uh, unless one is a Buddha, maybe there's no karma, there is no karma left supposedly as a Buddha, but I, I get a sense um, that, you know, and I, I don't know what the mind of a Buddha is like, so I, I can't say for sure. But for those of us, at least until you're fully enlightened, let's put it that way, uh, and I am of the school that even when one is fully enlightened, that habits of mind can arise, but the mind that's completely free does not identify at all with those thoughts. And so they're just you know, blips 
that arise and pass away on their own. Um, who knows? You tell me if you get there, if the thoughts never, never arise. But it's quite freeing to realize that, uh, one, you don't have to blame yourself for the quality of your meditation or give yourself a gold star if you've got a, you're fortunate enough to, uh, to settle into a very clear and, and loving meditation. That's very inspiring. But that practice is much more than just what happens in the sitting. And in fact, uh, the more we can understand everything that supports our practice as well as seeing that we can cultivate these other aspects of our daily life practice, uh, then the less we're going to be giving ourselves a report card for the meditation itself. So this discourse uh, is, is from a collection called the Udana. And uh, it takes place when uh, the Buddha is um, at this place, what, the Kalika Rock, uh, with an attendant named Magia, who was uh, relatively new. I don't know how he got the good karma to just be alone with the Buddha, and he was relatively new at practice, but there it was. The Venerable Magia was his attendant at the time. And uh, he asked, and it was just the two of them, and he asked the Buddha to, um, that he, he wanted to go into this area for alms, and the Buddha said, uh, do as you think fit, Magia, as the Buddha would usually say. I'll read a little bit about it, uh, of it, because it's got some nice uh, flavor. It was then morning, and so the Venerable Magia dressed, and taking his bowl and outer robe, he went into Jantagama for alms. When he had wandered for alms and was returning from his alms round after his meal, he came to the banks of the Kimikala River. When he was walking and wandering along the river bank for exercise, he saw a charming and inviting mango grove. He thought, hmm, this charming and inviting mango grove, what do you think he's going to do? Ah, <laughs> uh, now we could do a little Rorschach, oh, you know, mangoes, or, no. This charming and inviting mango grove will serve, and this is the translation that they have, for the struggle of a clansman who seeks the struggle. That's another way of saying, I'm going to get down there with my mind and really meditate. This is a great place to practice. And if the Blessed One, the Buddha, allows it, I shall come to this mango grove for the struggle, to practice intensively. He, went, he goes to the Buddha and he tells him about this mango grove. And the Buddha says, wait, Magia, we're still alone. Wait until some other bhikkhu comes, another monk comes. The Buddha has some inkling, being a Buddha, that uh, this, this guy hasn't done a whole lot of practice, and it might not be so good for him to just be alone with his, his mind. So he says, just, just wait, keep me company. Second time, the Venerable Magia says, the Blessed One has nothing more left to do, Lord. He has no, you have no need to confirm what he has already done. But we, I, still have something left to do. I need to confirm what we've already done. If you allow it, Lord, I should like to go to that mango grove to practice. Very insistent. Chutzpah, as we call it in, in the Theravadan uh, uh, <laughs> teachings. You know. Second time, the Buddha says, wait, Magia, we're still alone. Wait till some other bhikkhu comes. The third time, which is the charm, Magia repeats his request. What can we say to you, Magia? It is time for you now to do as you think fit. Then the Venerable Magia got up from his seat and after paying homage to the Buddha, 
keeping him on his right, he went off to the mango grove, where he sat down at the root of a tree for his, his daytime abiding. Now, for almost all the time that he remained in the mango grove practicing, three kinds of thoughts occupied his mind. That is to say, unwholesome thoughts of sense desire, unwholesome thoughts of ill will, and unwholesome thoughts of cruelty. Then it occurred to him, and in this translation it says, it's, it is wonderful, it is marvelous, which is another way of saying, this is amazing, this, is, this blows my mind. Here I am, here am I who have gone forth out of faith from the house life into homelessness, and yet I'm harassed by these three kinds of unwholesome thoughts. Amazing. Couldn't wait to tell the Buddha. You'll never guess what happened. <laughs> when it was evening, he, arose, he rose from retreat and went to the Blessed One, and he told him what happened. Hmm. Megia, when the heart's deliverance is still unripe, there are five things that can lead to its ripening. What five? Here we have the teachings. Now, before I give the answer, just uh, I'd like you to see what wisdom would come through you if you were asked, what really supports my practice? I won't call for answers out loud. Just see what things are so vital to your practice support. When you get confused, when you get caught up, what helps? No, whatever your answers are, are the right answers. They're the ones that speak to you. Okay? <clears throat> so here we go. Number one. Hmm. Actually, I'll use his words. Oh, well, it's just, just one line, yeah. First, good friends. How many people had that on their list? Sangha, taking refuge in the Sangha, you know, when we just did the chanting, Sangang Saranangha Chami, Budang Saranangha Chami, Damang Saranangha Chami, Sangang Saranangha Chami. I take refuge in the community of like-minded friends. You don't have to be a Buddhist practitioner to know the value of good friends. But if you are aware of the teachings, as the Buddha said, good friends is the whole of the holy life. I mean, look how, how we come together and how supportive it is that we're not doing this alone, that we can share the silence and share our love of the truth and share our intention to awaken as fully as possible and open up our hearts. How, what a difference it makes to know that there's others who value that too. I, I think recently I, I mentioned here when I, when I first got into the this practice, which was in uh, 1974 in, uh, in Boulder at Naropa Institute. And, and uh, the summer, it was so incredible. It was like this spiritual summer camp 
fabulous teachings, incredible, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, there would be about 1,500 people sitting in on a talk that uh, Trungpa Rinpoche would give, or Ramdas, who was also giving the talks that first summer, and go to the, uh, the, the class that, that Joseph would teach, and, you know, 50, 75 people crowded in, and we were all sitting together, and it was so incredibly nourishing. Then I went back to New York City, where I basically you know, hibernated for the winter, uh, as committed as ever to practice, but there was nobody to practice there. There were no sitting groups at the time. And I was so hungry for practice. People, when they, when they come to the Bay Area and they come to uh, Spirit Rock or one of the sitting groups, you know, and they're from out of town, they say, wow, you guys really have it good here. I hope we, we realize just how blessed we are that this happens to be one of the main centers of consciousness in, on the planet. You know. How did that happen? You know. Now, and for people who are hearing this on, uh, on recording and from far away, uh, just know that you can get a Sangha together wherever you are, but if you have good friends who keep you on track, then um, your practice and you take advantage of them, your practice probably won't go too, too far astray. Because when we get lost, there's somebody who can give us a perspective on things. You know, that's in the, in the Theravadan tradition, there's also a term that many of you know, Kalyanamita. There are these Kalyanamita groups, which means a spiritual friend. That's what teachers are called, Kalyanamitas, spiritual friends, not some kind of guru that knows all the answers, but s we're all traveling this path together and we're all helping each other along. It's so easy to get caught in your own perspective saying, what the heck is going on? And it's a lot, when you're not involved in the drama, it's so much easier to say, hey, you're doing okay. This will this will pass. Hey, get in touch with how sincere your intention is. Just know you've gone through all the other trials before and you've, you've made it through. You'll learn from this one too. Oh yeah. It's so much easier when you're not in the middle of the drama to say that, isn't it? And that's how we can support each other and be good friends for each other. And I thought I'd, before going on to the to the other ones, uh, share a little bit from another discourse on the four types of good friends that the Buddha talks about. This is from uh, a discourse called uh, the Sigala Sutta, or Advice to Householders. Four types of friends. There is the helper friend, and we're all all of these, so it's not like, oh, I'm this kind of friend, not that kind of friend. But there's the friend that's that, that helps, who looks after you when you're inattentive, who looks after your possessions when you're inattentive, who is a refuge for you when you're afraid, and who lets you have um, twice what you ask for. That's a good friend. Be very popular, uh, especially if you have something to give. But um, but somebody who's really generous with their with their time, with their resources, who's really there for you, the helper friend. Then there's the the friend that is the same in happy or unhappy times. Not a fair weather friend. They're there for all kinds of changes in the weather. And this friend tells you his or her secrets. That is, they can really share from their deepest place. Guards your secrets. It's interesting, the Buddha talked about secrets and saw that there was a, 
sometimes it's, it's the human experience where it's not like, oh, we'll just share everything. There are some things that you want to keep to yourself or just share with a couple of people. And you know when something is really weighing on you, weighing in your heart or on your mind, how healing it is to be able to come to somebody and say, this is hard for me. You don't have to broadcast it to the whole world, but if you have just one person who really understands, it's like you are, have shared the weight, you've taken a little bit of it off your shoulders and know that somebody else is there rooting for you and loving you anyway, no matter what's going on inside. So someone who can share with you their secrets and guards your secrets. Someone who doesn't let you down in misfortune and who would sacrifice their life for you. These are the ultimate good friend categories. Okay? The same in happy and in, or unhappy times. Then there's the good friend, the type that points out what is good for you. Thank you. <laughs> this is not the person who says, um, I want to give you some feedback. Uh, are you ready? But with a loving and caring heart really is looking out for your well-being and seeing where you might be off a bit. This is a good friend and it's a very special kind of a friend who you can hear that from and sometimes you can't always hear it from but if you know that they really care and have your welfare at heart, it's a little bit easier. You've got a better shot, perhaps. The friend, this kind of friend, keeps you from, from wrongdoing. They see you're about to fall over into a ditch or make a mistake. No, no, no. Hey, come on back on track. Who supports you in doing good. Who informs you what you didn't know, you might not be aware, completely oblivious, and they say, hey, check this out. And who also points out the path. That's the friend who points out what is good for you, who keeps you connected to the Dharma. And then there's the fourth kind, the sympathetic friend, who doesn't rejoice at your misfortune, Remember, I said that line from Montaigne, there's something not all to, altogether too displeasing at the misfortune of our friends. You know, you know, that, that place that we, we might feel a little bit of competition. But somebody who doesn't rejoice at your misfortune, who really cares about you, who rejoices at your good fortune, true mudita, that joy in your own happiness, who's really rooting for you. Someone who stops others who speak against you. Sorry, not, this is not so good. Please, not needed. And the sympathetic friend also commends others who praise you. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's an okay third-party speech. Yes, he really is a great guy. Yeah, what a good heart she has. I'm so glad you noticed too. So I just want to ask you before we go on to reflect on your good spiritual friends. You might go inside for a moment and ask, do I have good friends? Are there people who rejoice at my good fortune, who can point out in a loving way when I'm off, who can share their innermost experience and know that I can be safe in sharing mine, who's really there for me? And even if you have one, just one, that's enough. 
If you have more than one, then your cup runs over. But let yourself feel the support of having a good friend. Rejoice in that. Okay. So then the Buddha said to Magia, besides having good friends, let's see how he puts it here. The second support for our practice is the power of virtue that is our ethical life, that is living with integrity, having a commitment to not causing harm to ourselves, to others. This is a tremendous protection for our life. And if you did nothing else but woke up to all the choices that you make and have them come from a place of alignment with your values, alignment with integrity, you would be a very awake person. So we're making choices all the time, all the time. And that feeling, that expression that I've used many times that I love, the bliss of blamelessness that allows us to feel whole and feel like we have nothing to hide. The commitment to virtue. Here's, uh, I love this passage, if I can find it. The perfume of sandalwood, rose bay, or jasmine cannot travel against the wind. But the fragrance of virtue travels even against the wind as far as the ends of the world, like garlands woven from a heap of flowers, fashioned from your life as many good deeds. The Dalai Lama was asked, if you have a choice to have a very deep understanding of emptiness, of the highest teaching, seeing through the illusion of self, or of the, um, of the law of karma. Which is more important? I was there, I remember him being asked this question. And uh, to my surprise, and a number of people's surprise, he said, it's more important to understand karma. I thought, whoa, well, gee. And then he went on to say, if your understanding of emptiness is not complete, you can do things that will be interrupting your unfolding of wisdom and karma through your unskillful actions. So there's no guarantee that you're just going in one direction, particularly if you're not skillful with your behavior. But if you realize how in every moment you're making a choice that's leading to either greater peace or, or more disharmony and suffering, then you will keep on heading in the right direction. So our own commitment to living a life of integrity. Now this isn't always easy. This is, this is why it's a full-time, lifetime practice. And if you keep it at the forefront of your practice, the, the way that I, uh, at that moment of choice, I share this in, uh, in the Joy Course. There's uh, somebody who I met a, n a number of years ago. I was teaching at Esalen, and this fellow whose life was falling apart. He had gotten into some really uh, substance abuse and really 
uh, negative uh, behavior. And one day, he saw himself in the mirror and saw his whole life was, was heading down the tubes. He was going to lose his family, his wife that he cherished, and his children, and his job, and everything. And he looked at himself in the mirror, and it was, he, he shared this with me. I was like really moved by it. He, in a moment of revelation, heard the clear instruction, act with integrity in the moment of choice. And that became his north star that turned his life around. And when I saw him, this is a, a few years later, his life was flourishing. And that's a really good one to keep in mind. In the moment of choice, act with integrity. How to do that, as I've often shared. For me, the trick is, in my own mind, to topple forward and look back on the choice I'm about to make. Because on the front end, it makes sense and looks very appealing. It's going to feel so good if I go this route. But upon reflection, the moments, the mind moments after, if you've taken the less than noble road, it feels good. This is how the game is wired. We're wired up. It's so interesting how it's, it's played that way. On the front end, it makes sense, and we have very little awareness of how many mind moments on the back end it's going to feel. But if you topple forward and think six months from now, how is this going to feel? And use that as your perspective that can help you act with integrity in the moment of choice. Because those mind moments, countless mind moments, of either feeling lousy about what you did or feeling really great that you did it well. Doesn't that make sense? And yet it's so hard to realize that in the moment. So. This is a tremendous support for our own well-being. The third support that the Buddha gave to Magia was wise speech, which is included in that wise virtue. It's one of the five um, precepts, wise actions, from including not killing, not stealing, not causing harm through sexuality, uh, through substances, and wise speech. But he makes the point specifically to say, notice what comes out of your mouth. If you did nothing else but pay attention to what comes out of your mouth and have it come from a kindly place, you'd have a very strong practice. And you'd be a very popular person. Very well loved. Not that you do it for that reason, but if you do it naturally, people want to be around you. And the four kinds of wise speech, not lying, saying what's truthful, not using harsh language, speaking in pleasant tones. That doesn't mean you have to be nicey-nice all the time and be syrupy, but to really say the truth, say what needs to be said with a basic spirit of goodwill. Refraining from gossip, which as we've mentioned here, if you take a period of time to refrain from gossip, you know, maybe a, a day, or an hour or so, you know, about 90% of your speech uh, seems to fall away. You know, it creates so much space in the mind. It's so so ah, so um, spacious. Mm. And also not engaging in frivolous talk. This is if you're a monastic. That means. 
I can't imagine it, but uh, you know, not talking about the basketball playoffs or things like that. I don't think that's frivolous talk myself. <laughs> but you know, we all have to look at our own definition of frivolous talk. Because a lot of times, and again, this is really for monastic as much as, as any, and particularly gossiping, that is useless talk. But a lot of times, our conversation is, is really just a way to exchange energy. So for lay people, I would say, talk that doesn't lead to a contraction of mind, uh, that doesn't lead to um, idle chatter where you're just kind of filling up the space. But a lot of times when we're engaging, we're just see, saying, you know, hey, pretty nice day today. We're really just saying, hi, nice to be here with you. I'm in here. You in there? All right, nice to, to connect. Um, and the main guideline is saying what's truthful and what's useful, which means to really be aware of why you're saying what you're saying and to feel the intention behind what you're saying. What is it for greater communication, for greater harmony, to, or to be right, or to control, or to, uh, to you know, drop something in a conversation that stirs things up? You have to take a look for yourself. So this is a tremendous support for practice because it can either disturb the mind or uh, your own or somebody else's or create a sense of ease. Fourth support that the Buddha shared with Nagia. Uh, this one I think I will see how he said it. Fourthly, a practitioner is energetic in abandoning unwholesome things and giving effect to wholesome things. Steadfast, persistent, and untiring with respect to wholesome things. This is the classic wise effort, the formal definition of wise effort, which includes guarding against unwholesome actions, speech, thoughts as best you can, overcoming unwholesome thoughts, words, actions when they're here. If you're filled with fear or if you're filled with anger or sadness or confusion, to overcome them through all the skillful means that are available to you, to from calling up a friend to get some space on things, to going for a walk in nature, to meditating and feeling your feelings, to all the things that allow you to just hold the hard stuff when it's here without getting completely drowned in it. And then the wise efforts also include the, the wholesome aspect, to develop wholesome states, that is to practice loving kindness, to practice generosity, to practice equanimity, to practice compassion. Even when it's not there, to plant the seeds for that to happen, to practice awareness, to develop the wholesome states, and the fourth of the wise efforts, to maintain and increase wholesome states when they've arisen, which is one of my favorite aspects of the teachings. When you are feeling aligned, when you are feeling well-being, when you are in the middle of a generous act, when you are in the middle of a caring thought, when you have some clarity, to not miss it, but to notice how good it feels as it comes through you. That gives it life. That inspires you as the, as the line in the discourse that the Buddha has. He says, when one is connected with the gladness, when one is aware of the gladness connected with the wholesome, one 
gains inspiration in the truth, inspiration in, in the meaning. One gladdens the heart. The heart is delighted by feeling the wholesomeness connected with that. So to be present for all of the wholesomeness that does come through you, to cultivate the wholesome, and to not get lost and confused and drowning in the, whole un, in the unwholesome. Now, I was just speaking with somebody uh, the, the other day who I respect very much, who was um, ha going through a hard time in their, their practice because they were seeing a whole lot of stuff that was very, very um, hard and yet they knew healthy to open up to. And, um, and they were kind of going for it. Okay, I'm going to be taking a look at all of this stuff. And in their determination to not turn away, the, it, was, it was at times getting a little overwhelming. And uh, I said, you know, you don't have to be looking at, uh, at the unwholesome all the time. Right? It can be uh, a, a, a tremendous burden if you think you've got to purify yourself all in one day or in one, one month. And they said, well, I, I, it, I don't know if I, can, if I can turn it off. It's just be becoming so more apparent. And uh, I suggested and suggest when you are in a period where you're looking at all the hard stuff, hard to come to terms with. Honor that, but don't leave that as your only channel that you tune into. That you've got to nourish yourself. You've got to take a break sometime. You have to really stay in touch with your goodness as you are courageously opening up to the yuck that's in there. Don't miss the goodness that comes out of you. It's so easy to discount it and say, oh, well, that's how I'm supposed to be. Keep connecting with all that wholesomeness, and that is going to be giving you the container to process all the, all the unskillful conditioning and patterns that you get caught in. So that's the, the fourth, to uh, get in touch with wise effort around unwholesome and wholesome. And then the fifth is the Buddha recommending that you keep reflecting on impermanence. No matter what is going on, this becomes the backdrop to your ongoing practice. He said, if you can keep on, stay in touch with impermanence, then no matter how bad things are, there's the reminder, oh yes, this is what's here right now and it will change. I'm not going to be stuck forever in this place. And it gives you more courage to work with the hard stuff. And on the other side, when things are going hunky-dory, instead of thinking, Wow, I finally got my life together, and I've been working hard at doing this, so it's about time that the universe got it. <laughs> Keep on reflecting on impermanence. And in that way, you celebrate the grace, the blessing that you have, that you can feel inspired by, and delight in, and grateful for, and not have that confusion when things change. But seeing it's not about arriving at any one particular destination. It's about being here for the whole ride. So this is the five supports when your meditation isn't quite up to snuff. Keep that in mind, being with good friends, Acting with integrity. In fact, as we, we uh, go through these, just I had you do it with the first one. Let's just check in with the others. 
acting with integrity. Just get in touch with the last time you did something really wisely. You made the good choice. How good that felt. What a blessing that you were able to hear inside your own wisdom. What a great support for practice. And then the third, speech. Reflect on a time where your speech was really kind, really wise, really supportive. Where you might have, instead of venting, you decided to speak as clearly and kindly as you could. Notice how good that feels. And then the fourth, the wise effort, guarding against unwholesome, making the choice to not put yourself in temptation's way. and cultivating the wholesome where you could let yourself feel the, the goodness as it comes through you. See if you can remember one or another of those. And then finally, Reflecting on impermanence, it's the truth. Whatever moment you happen to find yourself in, just remember right now, everything changes. Everything changes. It doesn't mean it's going to be bad news. It just means I can be here for the ride. That's what the game is about. Even if things are going well now, and they take a dip, or they go down, they'll come up again. It's about being here for the ride. That's where the freedom is. Those are supports for your practice. Mm. It's just about time to, to end. Mm. Is any one burning question before we, we end? Mm. Yeah, quickly, Ed. It's, why don't you just, uh, yeah, just yeah. briefly. Family. Family is is the is the is the forward edge, and and the question. How to work with that in your practice? So you, they, they keep their cards close to the chest, and you are an open person, and you want to share what would, what would be beneficial for them. Well, uh, the, the last point, I think, 
So, so how to, to work with when there's the lack of communication and you, you feel their judgment on you and whether or not to, to how to bring it up. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes there's not that ability to communicate. And, and so you might, you might need to uh, just make the best of the situation and, and not expect that people's lifetimes habits are going to change. And that's where it's helpful to be around the company of the wise, as the, the Buddha says, as much as possible. Yeah. Take it in doses. You have to take it in doses and just see what you're able to be centered around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Family is often the final frontier. It's true. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's close with a loving kindness. So um, feel the supports for your practice. Feel your sincerity of practice. And uh, send yourself uh, some kind energy. May I awaken fully to whatever extent possible. May I go in the direction of greater clarity and peace. May I share my love well. And then extending that to everyone. May all beings find peace inside, share their love well, wake up to their true nature. May our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and peace. Thanks. See you in a couple of weeks. Next week, the Lama, the healing Lama, Pakya Rinpoche. So enjoy him. Thanks. Stack up the chairs very mindfully. <laughs>